Please stand with me for our gospel lesson this morning. It's one of my favorites from Luke 24. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. When they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you all discussing with each other as you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? He said, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people And how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem all of Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since all of these things took place. They kept talking, and as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked on ahead of him, of them as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening, and day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and immediately he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road and opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, he has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Friends, this is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. And now our children can be dismissed with Pastor Renee for children's worship. And now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place and in all places be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's this great scene in the movie, The Shawshank Redemption, when a character named Andy sits down at the cafeteria table with a group of men who are all inmates at the Shawshank prison. Now, Andy has been convicted of a crime he did not commit and sentenced to life in prison. And he's just spent the past two weeks in the hole, in solitary confinement. His friends at the cafeteria table that day are excited to have him back, and they say to him, was it worth it, Andy? Two weeks in the hole. And he says nonchalantly, easiest time I ever did. 
they all look at him rather confused and they say, there's no such thing as easy time in the hole. A week there is like a year. And Andy says, yeah, but I had Mr. Mozart to keep me company. His friends are even more confused. One of them says, so they let you tote that record player down there to the hole, huh? But Andy simply replies, no, no, it's in here, pointing to his head, and it's in here, pointing to his heart. That's the beauty of music. They can't take that away from you. Everyone just looks at him in disbelief, and he says, haven't you ever felt that way about music before? That's when a man named Otis Red Redding, played by Morgan Freeman, pipes up. He says, I played a mean harmonica as a younger man. Lost interest in it, though. Doesn't make much sense in here. To which Andy replies, here is where it makes the most sense. You need it so you don't forget. Forget what? asks Red. Forget that there are places in the world that aren't made out of this stone. You need it so that you won't forget that there's something inside of you that they can't take away, that they can't get to. It's yours. What are you talking about? Red says. Hope. I'm talking about hope. Suddenly it becomes so quiet around that lunch table that you could hear a pin drop. Finally, Red looks up from his meal and says, Hope, let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing in a place like this. It's got no use in here. Better get used to that idea. I wonder if that's how the disciples might have felt in this text we just read. That hope is this dangerous thing, let me tell you, and we've got no use for it anymore. Because we had hoped in this guy named Jesus. We had put all of our hope, all of our eggs in that basket. We followed him with everything we had within us, and we had hoped that he was going to be the savior of all of us. But now he's gone, and all of our hope is buried up in the grave right along with him. Hope's got no use to us now. We better get used to that. The truth is, we don't have to turn to a movie to realize what a dangerous thing hope can be, do we? I could go around this room and you could tell me story after story about the things you had hoped might happen. We had hoped that a mass shooting would never happen in our beloved city of Louisville. We had hoped that the cancer wouldn't return, that she would stay in remission. We had hoped that the marriage would last. We had hoped that they wouldn't relapse again, that this time things would really be different. We had hoped that our family would love us unconditionally. 
We had hoped that the legislation would not pass that would take away the rights of our trans siblings. We had hoped that the pandemic would not last as long as it did and that it would affect our lives and our world in all these ways that will impact us for years to come. How many times throughout the pandemic did we say we had hoped that things might have turned out differently? We had hoped by this time in life that we would be married or that we would have a meaningful career that we are really proud of. Or we had hoped that we would be able to retire by now. We had hoped that we would feel like at least we knew what we were doing. We had hoped our beloved spouse, parent, child, friend would still be here today. We had hoped, I would imagine every person in this room could fill in that blank in one way or another. Barbara Brown Taylor says that hope in the past tense is one of the saddest sounds in the human language. And with all of their past tense hope, these disciples decide they have just got to get out of town and get away from it all. And so they head toward a place called Emmaus. And as Taylor puts it, Emmaus is the road you walk down when your team is lost. Emmaus is the road you take when your candidate has been defeated, your loved one has died. It's that long road back to an empty house with all the piles of unopened mail and things that need to be done. It's that return to life as usual as if life could ever be usual again. You all know that I'm on a Ted Lasso kick right now. I know many of you are as well. And this is another friendly reminder that if you're not, you can still join in on the fun. It's not too late. And we have a church-wide theology on tap scheduled for next month so that we can all talk about Ted Lasso together. At the end of the first season, Ted is in this local pub talking with some of the Richmond FC fans, and he is caught off guard when he realizes that they have all given up any sort of hope that Richmond will actually win their upcoming game against Manchester City. And when he calls them out on it, the pub owner, May, who is like the beloved town mayor, says to him, Ted, it's the hope that kills you. And we can laugh at that, but how many times have we felt that way ourselves? It's the saying, it's popular in European football because they say it feels better to have no expectations, to have no hopes at all, than for you to get your hopes up that your team will win only for them to be defeated. And if we're being honest, I think this is where a lot of us in this room are today too. I had someone come up to me after the first service and they said, Mary Alice, I'm really struggling to find hope right now. I mean, if things didn't change after Sandy Hook and if things didn't change after Newtown and if things didn't change after Orlando and you go on and on and on, they said, I've just given up on finding hope that things ever will change. 
and I was talking about this with the 20-somethings Bible study class this morning, actually, as we were talking about hope. We said, what if hope isn't something we can, like, muster up and try to find the strength within ourselves to discover? What if hope is something that finds us? What if hope is something that we just have to keep doing the next right thing and we have to be the hands and feet of hope, trusting that it will finally make its way toward us? Maybe hope finds us. And that's what we see in this text, because even their own sense of hopelessness does not stop hope from visiting the disciples that day. In fact, notice that this text happens on the same day as Jesus' resurrection. Easter is not even over. As Debbie Thomas points out, it always startles me to remember that the Emmaus story is, in fact, an Easter story. On the very day that we pack our churches and flower our crosses and sing our alleluias, the road to Emmaus stretches out ahead of us offering defeat, disillusionment, and misrecognition. Which is to say that sometimes resurrection takes longer than just three days. Sometimes new life comes and fits and starts. Sometimes seeing and recognizing the risen Christ is hard. This is not, I'll admit, what I always want from the resurrected Christ. But we had hoped he would be more convincing, more unmistakably divine. We had hoped that he would make the post-Easter faith a bit easier on us. Part of the disappointment we face on the Emmaus Road is the disappointment of the sometimes quiet resurrection. The disappointment of God's subtlety and hiddenness among us. The disappointment of a Jesus who sometimes prefers the quiet, hidden encounters with us to the theatrics we expect and crave. I preached on Easter that we follow a God who always surprises. And so today I might add that I think hope can surprise us too. Sometimes, like on the road to Emmaus, hope can plop itself down in our laps in the moments when we are least expecting it to show up, (laughs) when we have given up on finding any sort of hope in our midst. A few years ago, my nephew, Evan, who was about five or six years old at the time, decided that he wanted to play t-ball that spring. And my brother, Matt, was so excited to start taking him to his practices and games. But Matt quickly discovered that after a few minutes of playing the game, Evan would begin to lose interest in what was going on. And so he would sit down at the edge of the outfield and start just playing in the dirt instead. So Matt started talking to Evan about getting out there on the field and paying attention to what was going on and chasing after the ball. But week after week, after a few minutes would pass, Evan would give up any sort of hope that the ball was going to come anywhere near him. And so he would start building sandcastles in the dirt instead. Well, one week Evan was sitting in the dirt again. When somebody hit the ball to the outfield, 
And several little kids are chasing, trying to scramble to get the ball, but nobody could get to it. And finally, the ball hits the ground and it begins to roll. And would you know that it rolled all the way to the dirt pile where Evan was sitting and literally rolled into his glove. (laughs) And so Evan jumps up and he's holding the ball and he's saying, yes, yes, I got the ball, I got the ball. It, It was like he had gotten Willy Wonka's golden ticket to the chocolate factory. He was so excited until he finally realized what the parents and the coaches wanted him to do, which was to throw the ball back, and so he did that. And my brother said he was just beaming with excitement. Everyone was congratulating him after the game was over. When Evan got in the car, he couldn't stop talking about what had happened. But listen to what he told my brother that day. He said, Dad, do you know what I did? He said, I prayed that the ball would come to me, and it came. It rolled right up into my glove. So I told my friends, listen, you don't have to run around like the other kids do. Just pray that the ball will come, and it will. He even went on to say, the trick is you have to say amen. This is where some people mess up. They don't say amen, but do that and the ball will come to you. Dad, I prayed and it worked. And then he said, quote, this Jesus thing is real. (laughs) My brother said it was one of those moments as a parent that he just wished he could bottle up and save forever because he knew that Evan would probably never share that story with quite the same sense of excitement and wonder again. Now, I'm not sharing this story to say that I think prayer works quite like my five-year-old nephew imagined that it did. But what I am saying is that sometimes I think hope comes to us when we are sitting around playing in the dirt. Sometimes I think hope comes to us when we have long given up on the thought of ever even catching the ball. The question is, are we paying attention? Like the disciples, can we even see the resurrected Christ who is right in front of us? Or are we so distracted building sandcastles in the dirt that we can't even see hope when it is rolling our way? You see, friends, the reality is that Even though we don't have our trumpets today and the flowery cross outside and all of our lilies, Easter is not over. (laughs) And I hope you and I never get over Easter. I hope it always leaves us surprised and amazed and completely astonished even when we are least expecting it to show up. Nadia Boltz-Weber once wrote about her friend Cheryl, who works in women's prisons. And she said, I tend to not always have hope, but when Cheryl speaks about hope, I listen up. And Cheryl says that hope is an encounter that captivates our imagination. So we can't help but become more than who we thought we were and find ourselves living for something that is all at once preposterous and impossible. 
Nadia goes on to say, when it comes down to it, I want that kind of hope. I want a hope that isn't just naive optimism. I want a hope that finds us living for something that is all at once preposterous and impossible, and yet the most real and honest thing we've ever experienced. And so may we live with a present tense, preposterous kind of hope. Like Ted Lasso, and like my nephew Evan in the outfield, and the disciples who saw the risen Lord, may hope call us toward living for something that just feels impossible. Because the good news is that this Jesus thing is real. That hope comes to us in surprising places, even when we have long given up on the thought of ever even catching the ball. And sometimes it is the most honest and real thing we've ever experienced. May that kind of hope find us today, friends. Because Christ is still risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.